0: First Peter one, verses three through nine. And the scripture reads, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord to us.
1: So in, in preparing for this, I, as a member here of the church, my thought was, man, I would love to get one of those Colossians passages, you know, just in the series. Let me just step in for a minute. That's one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's Colossians. Uh, and then I thought, I said, you know, the one thing that I believe we all need, and myself included, is just a healthy sense of recalibration, in many ways, of where our hope should lie. And I, I know this from experience, because in our society today, there seems to be no lack of hope in things, uh, like hoping in the government for reform or hoping in rituals and church attendance for religion, or hoping in vacation and 401K for rest and security. I know personally we we tried to take a little vacation and go back to Philadelphia. Uh, I can tell you that's that's a lifeless hope. You need a vacation from your vacation when you get back, especially if you drive for 32 hours altogether uh, with five children and a wife in the car. Um, It's an empty hope. It's a lifeless hope. And the truth is, many people today in our society, ourselves included, we try to put our hope in those things, whatever they may be, you name it. However, a casual scroll down your news feed, and we see people really living lifeless, hopeless lives, watching people die on The internet gets streamed live to your phone, whether it's from abuses of authority by government officials or it's just violence and evil in the world. Whole communities being neglected and targeted as holding cells for ankle bracelet-wearing criminals. I've, I've had a discussion this week that's brought this to our mind and uh, thought about the several reports of people created in the image of God being slaughtered by their own families, by their own family members, husbands killing wives and children, wives killing children inside and outside of the womb, middle school children being abused by their teachers sexually, young people who are just gaining employment being exploited by their employers and hourly managers. This is happening all around us. And honestly, if I take it a step further, I think about the idea of marriage. I think about the fact that it's being dishonored for reality television. Who gets married at first sight? I honestly believe that we're exchanging true hope for a hope that one day these things will change. But I want to renew our hope today in the right place. The reality is that sometimes we just don't slow down long enough to ask the question of where does my hope lie? Why am I doing what I'm doing? What's the motive, what gets me out of bed in the morning? What truly makes me laugh, brings me joy and happiness? What causes me to cry, to lament even? If we think about these things, behind these, there's a sense of something that we're hoping for. If we just dig a little bit deeper. So I want to ask the question, wherein does your hope lie? If our hope is simply hinged on the fact that these things will change, then we have a lifeless hope. Proverbs 13, 12 tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. So if we were to define hope in general, I would say they said it's an optimistic expectation of receiving what one desires in the future. So it could be anything in general. Uh, If you live here in Atlanta, it may be that the Hawks make the finals this year. That's a lifeless hope. Not going to (laughs) happen. It could be a hope that, you know, you set your appointment with your hairdresser this week and she's on time and gets you out on time and you look fly. Maybe, maybe not. The reality is that there are some lifeless hopes and there is the living hope. Lifeless hope is anchored in one's expectation of fulfillment, satisfaction, and purpose on temporal things. Temporal things, they're fleeting, they don't last um, for example, I, I look at Job and I think of if, if his situation was just a microcosm of what it looks like to have a lifeless hope, his hope would hinge on the fact that his suffering would end That one day it's just going to be over. Uh, but I listen to his tone here in Job 17. He says, if I hope for Sheol as my home, if I make my bed in darkness, if I say to the pit, you are my father and to the worm, my mother or sister Where then is my hope? Who will see my hope? Will it go down to the bars of Sheol? Shall I be descending altogether into the dust? I mean, here's a brother who is experiencing a sense of hopelessness. Uh, He's, in one sense, cursing his birth. He's experienced a level of despair and depression that many of us will never know. Therein... Is this lifeless hope that can only see happiness if the circumstances change and their temporal desires are met? It's lifeless. It doesn't satisfy. I think also of uh, of Naomi uh, in the book of Ruth. She she was experiencing so much despair that she said, "Don't no longer call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for for I've experienced bitterness." And God's hand is heavy upon me. She's blaming God for her circumstances. And if you remember, she, in her native land, there was a famine. She left out of that land full. She had her husband. She had her two sons. She had the promise of a future that in uh, Moab there would be plenty, whereas her homeland is, is, is starving. She left out hopeful. But within 10 years' time, she saw the loss of her husband. She saw both of her sons die, and here she is, what looks like a lifeless hope, that if this situation was different, I wouldn't feel this way. This, this wouldn't be the case if God was for me. He's not for me, so it's his fault. I'm experiencing this. My circumstances aren't what I desire, so God's you're to blame. And she says it here in Ruth chapter 1, verse twenty. She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So what lifeless hope does is cause us to blame God for our circumstances, as if in somehow God is just a tyrant wanting to crush us under the weight of these terrible circumstances. So it makes our view foggy about who God is. Her faith through these trials was certainly shaken and seemed a hopeless or lifeless hope as she blamed God and her faith began to drift. I think about our passage this morning and the author, the writer, God is the author, Peter, Peter, And I think about Peter's experience in Jesus' ministry. Here's a brother who walked with Jesus. Um, One moment he's being verbally affirmed by Jesus uh, when Jesus is asking, who do men say that I am? You remember that? And and Paul, excuse me, Peter responds, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you got it right, son. Flesh and blood have revealed that to you. You've been paying attention to my teaching. He affirms him verbally. And if Peter was to take and put all of his hope on just verbal affirmations, then he would be crushed. Because the same night he's being, by Jesus, he is accused of being a worker of Satan. When Jesus begins to uh, talk about his sufferings and the fact that he would have to die and go to the cross, Peter says, may it never be. Kind of like over my dead body, this ain't happening. But the reality is, Jesus says to him, your, your mind is on earthly things. You're not thinking about the glory of the kingdom of God. You're thinking about your own kingdom. So in that moment, he would be crushed if it was just based on verbal affirmation and praise. But even more than that, here, Peter, he, sees the trans- he's, uh, he goes up with Jesus and sees the transfiguration So he understands that Jesus is more than just a a mere man. But at the same time, his focus is so concentrated on the kingdom here on earth and his position within it. That's where his hope is that he begins to fight against what God had already planned. Remember in the Gospels, when the soldiers came to uh, take possession of Jesus, what does Peter do? That's my man. Get up off him. Boom. (laughs) Chops his ear off. His his zealous ambition for his kingdom here caused him to get in the way of what God was planning and what God had in store. And so Christ had to again cover his his zealous, selfish ambition by placing a man's ear back on and saying, put that away. We don't live by the sword. This is not the way the kingdom of God is. His hope and his view was limited. It was a lifeless hope. And then not only that, we look at Peter's life, and Peter is probably the most outspoken, uh, braggadocious kind of disciple. And he fell the most notoriously, in the most heinous way. He literally denied even knowing Jesus after his arrest. How's that for betrayal? You think of a friend? You don't even know me. I get in trouble, I'm in a hard place, and now you say, you don't know me. At the most critical moment in his ministry, he walks away and disowns his association with Christ. A lifeless hope. It was limited. His, his view of what should be was fogged by his selfish ambition. What he can gain. And here's the thing. If that was the end of the story, then Peter's uh, legacy, his, his, his purpose, his place in God's grand story would end right there. That would be it. But it doesn't end there. So I want to pause there for a second. I want to think again of another person who has a lifeless hope. Judas. We remember Judas, right? Nobody wants a friend like Judas. <laughs> but here, Judas betrays Jesus in Matthew 26, seeking his own prestige, his own prominence. He literally says, what will you give me for this Jesus that you seek? You're supposed to be his friend. Supposed to be my homie. Supposed to be my ace. But here you are betraying me for a few pieces of silver? You're concerned. Your hope, your, your ambition is leading you in a lifeless way. So here it is. Where does that leave Judas? That leaves Judas in a position where once he realizes that Jesus is who he says he is and that this is truly the Messiah, he realizes I'm in a position where I can't get out. I can't change this. My reputation is stuck as a fake friend, as a betrayer, and I can't live with that. Because again, what he desired most was his prominence and his prestige, his affluence even. But when he's confronted with the reality of his sin, with the depth of his betrayal, he goes and he hangs himself. That's where lifeless hope leads you to trying to escape, trying to find a way out. And this is where Judas is. Peter committed the same sin. He betrayed Jesus. Why didn't Peter do the same thing? It's because Peter was made aware of a living hope. The hope that kept Peter from taking the same road as Judas, the hope that kept Naomi from rejecting the grace of God sent through Ruth and Boaz, it is the same living hope that is available to all who were trusting God's living hope through faith and repentance. So what is this living hope? This living hope is anchoring one's assurance, significance, and ambitions in the character and the sovereign will of the resurrecting power of God. Let me say it again. It's anchoring one's assurance, significance, and ambitions in the character Sovereign will and resurrection power of God. How does Peter encounter this living hope? In Luke 24:12, after the women went to uh, Jesus' tomb and saw that it was empty, and the angel came to them and said, why do you look for the living among the dead? They go back and they tell the, the disciples and Peter hears of it. So Peter rose in Luke 24:12. He says, Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. See, I think we don't spend enough time reflecting on the potency and the power of the resurrection. Because what that says to us is that regardless of what the sin, issue, struggle, uh, turmoil, trial, It doesn't matter because it's just an opportunity for God to show his resurrection power and to resurrect the situation. But our hope has to be in this living hope and not in these lifeless hopes that are temporal and that are fading. So imagine with me here. When Paul was told of the empty tomb, he ran and saw for himself. He said, I got to see this. If this is what it is, I've got to see it. When he saw that nothing was left but the grave clothes, He knew death was defeated and sin's power was broken. If the resurrection has occurred, then there was hope for him. There was hope for him. That wasn't the end of the story. Him being a denier of Christ. His denial of Jesus could be redeemed. Imagine Peter thought about his profession early in the ministry of Christ. Saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Saying, all these other folks might desert you, but not me. I got your back. I'm with you the whole way. So make sure I get that seat on the throne too. Like my position is set, right? But here he's confronted with the fact that his hope is lifeless. His hope is not really in eternal things. He's only thinking about this temporal world and the kingdom that they thought he was set up here on earth. So the scripture says that Jesus appeared to Simon, Simon Peter. Peter saw his hope alive, in living color. He heard the testimony of the men on the road to Emmaus and the subsequent other encounters with the resurrected Christ. And these things assure Peter that his hope was indeed restored. And his hope is in the living Christ. So why mention all of this? Why even go here? Why talk about this right now? Primarily because this is the same Peter who denied Christ at the most critical time in his ministry. He was the most vocal and charismatic of the bunch. He failed the hardest and most notoriously. Yet, if his story was over at that point, then there will be no hope for Peter and no hope for you and me either. Because without the resurrection, Christ is just another man who died. Unjustly, but he died. The fact of the matter is the resurrection says that if Christ is risen, then we can rise as well. We can rise above the circumstances that we're in. We can rise above the trials and the situations that we're facing Because our hope is in a resurrected Christ who is powerful enough to change the circumstances, to use them even as you're in them for his glory. That's a powerful God. The resurrection power assures us that whatever we're in right now is not the end, there is a resurrection. Here's the thing if the resurrection or if Christ isn't risen, then we are lost and left with nothing but lifeless hope. And here's the critical issue, that if your hope is not in the living Christ, the resurrected Christ, then all you have is lifeless hope. All you have is what you have today. So the only thing that you can do is cling and clamor for the things that are around you. But know that there is a greater hope. There is a living hope and that is Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. You see, the resurrection of Christ is the central, or is central to the audacity to living hope for Christians. Paul continues that if Christ has been raised, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. There's no hope for them. The reality is that this living hope changes everything. It gives meaning to whatever circumstances you're facing. If it's health issues, the resurrection says that Christ has a new body for you that's like his. If it's relational issues, Christ says it doesn't matter how your mother, father, husband, wife treat you, because in me, you can find everything. I can fulfill all of your needs. And the reality is that this resurrection, this hope, this living hope, what I want to do for a few minutes is kind of tease it out a bit. I, I hope that we can see from our passage, because I'm going to go back to this text and walk with you guys. Y'all walk with me. Because what I was able to see is that this living hope is tethered to the future. Right? But it's also active presently. Because it's anchored in the finished work of Christ. All right? Let's go there. 1st Peter chapter 1 verse 4. Here's where we see that this living hope is is a future hope. In verse 4, he says that it's in heaven he says this, this inheritance is in heaven. It is not in this earth. It's not here. It's not tangible. The fullness of it is in heaven. It is a place. He describes it as being undefiled. That it's pure. It's not rusting. It's not going to tarnish. But it's preserved. That it's unperishable. So here's the thing. What, what good would be an inheritance if when you get to it, it's, it's spoiled, it's, it's wasted, it's mildew, the reality is that it's, it's being preserved, it's, it's unperishable. And the reality is that when we think about this world and the lifeless hope, Paul frames it like this, he says in 1 Corinthians 9.25, he says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things, they do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, in imperishable, all of the energy, all of the ambition, all of the drive that I admire in some people that are not believers, that have no hope in Christ at all, they are putting all of that out for something that is going to perish. All of the self-control of, of a LeBron James or a Steph Curry or a Beyonce or whoever you can think of, That discipline, that drive that they have to go after what they want to obtain is because that's where their hope is. That's it. That's everything for them. And the reality is it's perishing. How much more should we be driven? Should we be passionate? Should we be zealous for the things of God that will not perish? That our reward, our inheritance does not perish. It doesn't fade. It won't go away. And we see that again, it's unfading. And when the chief shepherd appears, this is 1 Peter 5 4, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is where our hope lies. That when Christ appears, we will receive an inheritance that won't fade. It's not going to, over time, lose its value. He goes on to say in 1 Peter 1, 5, in verse 5, he says, God's power guards both us and our inheritance. In verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This, to me, changes the game. I'm sorry. You know, for me, if I'm dependent on myself to keep myself, I feel sorry for myself but to have the confidence and the boldness to know that my perseverance is not hinged upon my performance necessarily. It's not hinged upon whether or not I can endure in and of myself, but it's the fact that God, the sovereign God, the all-powerful God, the God who has the power of the resurrection is guarding me. He's guarding me and he's guarding you. And not only that, he's guarding the inheritance that he promised to us. So here, is, here it is in John 10, 28. He says, I give them eternal life. This is Jesus speaking. He says, and they will never perish. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. What kind of confidence and boldness do you need? What more do you need to be confident to step into whatever the brokenness is in your life, whatever the suffering that you're experiencing right now, because it's not going to be the end of you. It may feel like it. It may feel like I'm not going to make it through this. There's no way that this situation is going to turn around. But the scriptures tell us and Peter is telling us, remember, this is the same Peter That was revitalized by the living hope that he's encouraging us with, he's saying that God's power is guarding us. Ephesians 2:8 tells us, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. God's power guards us, God's power enables us to persevere in trials. In the latter part of verse 5, he talks about the, it has a time frame. It's ready to be revealed in the last time. So it's still a future thing. We're not in the last times yet. But in the last times, he says this, of all of creation. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. It's it's an eager expectation. Man, I am excited about it. I look forward to it. Man, it it, it compels me towards obedience. It drives me towards sanctification and holiness. Not because I have it right now, because if I have it right now, it's no hope. It's, It's just what I have right now. I don't hope for what I already have. But the reality is a future, a future hope. It's an inheritance that is preserved for us, that is guarded by God's power, and is ready to be revealed in the last times. But not only is it a future hope, it's also a present hope. It's a present hope that many times, this is the part of it that I, you know, just sits uneasy with me at times. Because what he says is that, in this you rejoice. And I'll say amen. I rejoice in the fact that there's a future inheritance, that you're guarding me, that you're keeping me by your grace and mercy. I have a living hope. But then he says, <laughs> though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. The reason why this is a hope, why it's a hopeful thing, is because it's limited. He says, for a little while, it's not forever. It may feel like it's going to last forever, but it's a temporary thing. Romans 6, 1 to 4 says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that Jesus, excuse me, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is what is anchoring this future, present, life-giving hope. It's the fact that it's completed in the finished work of Christ, that Christ has died once for all, that if by faith we are in Christ, then we have died to sin and and the consequences of sin. But not only did we die, but when he is revealed, when he raises, we also will raise with him to newness of life. This is our hope is anchored in that it's already been done. It's already been accomplished. It's a finished work of Christ, and our identity is in it. I think of that because there's not many things that you can bank on in this life. It's just not. I want to take people at their word, but I know they're fickle. My word is fickle. You can't bank on too many things. But this living hope is not bankored, uh, excuse me, it's not anchored to anything that's fallible. He can't fail. He's immutable. He's unchanging. This God, our Christ, has accomplished everything that's necessary so that we can obtain this inheritance. This is a guarantee of our salvation. Ephesians tells us that he's given us the Holy Spirit as a deposit. He said, I don't really need a deposit. I don't need to put it on layaway. I got it. Don't worry about it. But I want you to be assured of this. I want to give you the Holy Spirit who will lead and guide you into all truth. And I want you to remember that this work that's necessary for you to obtain this inheritance is anchored on my character, the character of God, on my sovereign will being done and carried out and unable to be thwarted by anyone. It's anchored on God's power that he displayed at the resurrection. He's holding it down. We don't have to worry. Ephesians 2, 4 to 6 tells us, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It's already been done. By grace you've been saved. And raised up with him. And we're seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is the finished work of Christ. He's already done it. It's anchored in him. It's active and it has ramifications for life today. But it's a future hope that we haven't obtained yet fully. Here's the deal. You can't claim this hope if this isn't true of your life. If you have not been saved, if you have not placed your faith, your hope, your trust, your security, your ambition on Christ, then all you have is lifeless hope. That's all. There's nothing more for you than what is right here tangible in this world. And all of that is fading. All of that will perish. All of that It's going to be gone. But the gospel of Christ, the living hope of Christ, is that by faith in the finished work of Christ and the power of God and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is that you can obtain the inheritance that is eternal. It never perishes. It never fades. And so what I want to commend to you today is that even though you haven't seen him, as it says in verse 8 and 9, and even though you you don't know him personally, you haven't been one of the disciples that's seen him risen, there's a faith that's required here. Though you have not seen him, you love him. You hope in him. You're not like doubting Thomas, saying, I'm not going to believe unless I see the piercings in his hand. But if in any way you desire a hope that transcends this life, then I want to invite you that through faith to believe in him, to to know what it's like to rejoice in the resurrection of Christ, to know what it's like to rejoice in the hope of salvation, to have a hope that lasts beyond this lifetime. See, living hope is anchored in the resurrection that has relevance for the present and propels us towards glory in the future. To say that we have hope in Christ for those of us who trust in Christ is, is many times just cliche. Yeah, my hope is in Christ. But what does that look like? Is it the compelling passion behind your praise? Is it The juice behind your joy? Is it the compassion that colors your charity? Because God is preparing us for good works that he has already laid out for us to walk in. And if you have this hope, then you will walk in those good works. You will pursue holiness. You will put off the dead passions and proclivities of this life and you will put on the holiness of Christ. This is what it looks like to hope in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Peter gives us a blueprint for the audacity of living hope, and he anchors it all in the resurrection power of God, the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The living hope of the gospel is far greater than the lifeless hope of this world. And trust yourself to Christ, who is blessed forever. Hope in him that he will resurrect your situation, regardless of how heinous your sin looks. He can resurrect it. He can turn it around. And I just want to admonish you to put your faith and trust in the living hope so that you can experience eternal life. Eternal life. Eternal life. Let me pray for us.